Welcome to our God's Truth with Dr. D. Todd Harrison. This week we're continuing to study that great apostle Paul and his letters. We've been looking at the letter to Romans, and then last week we started Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. This week will be part two of a three-part series on 1 Corinthians. And we're learning a lot of great things here and seeing what, looking at what actually did Paul actually teach and uh, talk about in terms of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And of that same Lord and God, Jesus Christ, I testify as one of his witnesses that he lives today. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. He is our Lord, our God, our Redeemer, our all. Let us come together and study and look at what Paul, his apostle, said about him. We get that literally from Doctrine and Covenants, section 18, verse 9, in which Jesus Christ, nearly 2,000 years later, after Paul, called Paul mine apostle. So doesn't matter what the New Testament says about Paul. Doesn't matter what his true status was. You know, the point is that Jesus Christ called him to be an apostle, even if he was not recognized by the church to be such. God has used people throughout history to be apostles and prophets for him, working outside the hierarchy of church leadership. Okay, so let's look now at the Apostle Paul. We'll look at uh, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, section, uh, chapter 8, and we'll begin here in verse 1. Now, it's touching things offered unto idols. So here we go right back to the whole thing, right? Uh, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, right? Someone says, I'm a competent biblical scholar, or I'm a competent uh, uh, medical doctor, or I'm a competent uh, scientist. You know, once they start saying that, you know, they, they don't know anything, right? He says here, and if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know, right? Because if you truly knew and mastered any kind of field of knowledge, uh, you would realize there's still so much far uh, more that you could possibly learn that you could never learn it in a lifetime. Here we go. Verse 3. Uh, we've got this several times. For those of you who have been with us since the beginning of the Old Testament, this kind of uh, this conditional stuff with God, that's just uh, just normal now to you right you've seen this hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times by different by dozens of different apostles and different prophets of god here we go but if any man love god the same is known of him right again being conditional right now of course he's the father of creation so in a sense he does kind of know you but he doesn't acknowledge you and he doesn't love you unless you first love him and keep his commandments goes all the way through the Old Testament and the New Testament. God's love is conditional. Here he's even saying, I don't even know you. His knowing you is conditional upon you loving him and keeping his commandments. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. We've quoted this verse several times so far this year in the New Testament. And that there is none other God but one. Keep in mind what's going on here, right? James, President James, the Lord's brother, the head of the church, with his two counselors, Peter and John, 
uh, they've they have issued a uh, decree. Uh, this was in the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. Uh, uh, James made the decision uh, with his, uh, his counselors Peter and John apparently supported it that it's okay for Gentiles to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ as long and they don't have to keep the law of Moses, but they do abstain from eating meat sacrificed to idols, right? He, he, that's the decree in Acts 15. James sent it out to, uh, to the known world at the time that Gentiles can join, but they cannot eat meat sacrificed to idols. Paul, at first, was just kind of happy that they allowed Gentiles to join, but he's very, he, he's, he's very dismissive of this. He doesn't like it. And he continues to fight James over this uh, matter because all the meat is being sacrificed to idols in all the Gentile uh, cities. So therefore they can't eat meat at all, uh, which James would really prefer anyways, because he's a lifetime vegetarian. I uh, remember he had said earlier and, uh, you know, in our, prior lessons that James and the Quorum of the Twelve are weak because they eat herbs, uh, you know, they won't, won't eat meat. And so the whole issue here, again, is he's fighting against the, the First Presidency and the Council of the Twelve Apostles. They can't get past this Law of Moses. They continue to live this Law of Moses and continue to live these laws. And Paul keeps trying to say, look, Jesus Christ came to fulfill the Law of Moses. He has fulfilled the Law of Moses. We no longer need to keep the law of Moses. We have to live righteous and holy lives. Remember, we, we come back to that several times. We have to keep the Ten Commandments, but we don't have to worry about the way we wash our hands. We don't need to worry about eating meat sacrificed to idols. So here he's saying once again, look, doesn't matter if you eat meat. Uh, who said? Who cares what James, the president of the church, said? You, it doesn't matter if you eat meat or not because idols don't really exist anyway. So just because meat is sacrificed to an idol, doesn't mean anything. We know that an idol is concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered and sacrificed and the idols. We know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there's none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, is an important concept here, whether in heaven or on earth, as there be gods many, many Elohim, many plural, I am in Hebrew is plural, many gods, and the Lord's many. So he acknowledges that throughout the space and the cosmos, there are many gods and many lords. But, and this is the important key, there's only one that we worship. But to us, there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom all are all, all things, and we by him. So there's many gods, many lords. But there's only one God for us that we worship. And that's all we need to worry about. We don't need to worry about in the Andromeda galaxy who they're worshiping, right? We don't need to worry about in the Pegasus, you know, some other galaxy who they're worshiping, right? For us here on planet Earth, we worship God, the Eternal Father, right? And that's all we need to worry about. Okay, verse 7. How bet there is not in every man that knowledge for some with conscience of the idol, James, Quorum of the Twelve, Quorum of the Seventy, and a lot of the Jewish Christians, eat it as a thing offered unto an idol. And their conscience being weak, 
is the fault. Remember, he said that they have weak, that they're weak in the faith. He's the one that's strong in the Christian faith. They're weak in the faith because they won't eat meat. He says here, but meat commended us not to God. Whether we eat meat or we don't eat meat, it doesn't, you know, somehow improve our relationship with God. For neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours, this liberty of being able to eat meat, a sacrifice to idols because you have no choice, become a stumbling block to them that are weak. To James, Peter, and John, and the Quorum of the Twelve, the Quorum of the Seventy, the Jewish Christians, you don't want to create a stumbling block for them. For if any man see thee which has knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, so if they see in an idol's temple eating meat, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols, right? They're going to see you eating uh, to idols. Maybe they'll go ahead and start to eat. But the problem is they're going to bring sin upon themselves because they actually believe in idols and believe in false in these uh, non-existent uh, gods. Therefore, they'll think they're really eating meat that's been sacrificed to some, you know, some some god, right? He says, and through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when ye sin so against the brethren, now that's interesting, right? Because in the church today, we call the, you know, first presidency, quorum of the 12 and so forth, the brethren. Well, here's the first time in the scripture where Paul's referring to the first presidency, quorum of the 12, the 70 as the brethren, right? When you sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, Ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, if it offends James to eat meat, if it offends the quorum of the twelve to eat meat, I will abstain from eating meat. I don't want to offend their weak consciences. I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Okay, so there Paul, once again, trying to destroy this decree that had been sent out by James, that Gentiles could join the church, as long as they abstain from meat to sacrifice to idols, he's saying, look, you go ahead and do it. But if they're around, don't eat in their presence. You don't want to hurt their weak consciences. They're weak in the faith of Jesus Christ. He's talked about this many times already. Those of you for the first time joining us, go back, you know, through the New Testament here. Certainly at least Acts, Acts through uh, uh, our current uh, lesson here, and you'll understand this far better. And if this is just the first time you're being exposed to what the what the scriptures are actually teaching, it's always important to try to pay attention and understand what exactly is going on, so that these things don't suddenly come to a surprise to you after being in the church for fifty or sixty years that you should have read this many times, right? Okay, so that's chapter eight. We go to chapter nine, verse one through five. Here we go again. Here we go again. Remember. Paul is not an apostle in the traditional sense. He's not a member of the hierarchy of the church. He's not a member of the Quorum of the Twelve. He's not a member of the First Presidency. He's not a member of the Quorum of the Seventy. He's not a bishop. He's not a stake president. He's a, he holds no ecclesiastical authority whatsoever. Jesus Christ appeared to him, told him to preach, and he's been instructing Paul what to go out and say to all these communities that build up the church, working directly for Jesus Christ. Am not am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? So we continue to see this uh, through Paul's letters. 
He continues to defend his, his own self by saying, look, I've seen the resurrected Lord just the same as the 12 apostles have. Therefore, I'm just as apostle as, as they are. He says, have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Therefore, I'm an apostle. If I be not an apostle unto others, if I'm not an apostle, so he's here again acknowledging. I Look, I understand in the eyes of James, Peter, and John, and the quorum of the 12 and the quorum of the 70 and many other church leaders, I'm not a, I'm not an apostle. I understand that. You know, that's why I'm upset. <laughs> he's, remember, his two big things that he's why he's so upset and always going after them. Number one, they will not call him to be a general authority in the church. And number two, uh, they go around and after he preaches the gospel in these communities and tell them they don't have to live the law of Moses. Then James sends apostles and somebody to go out to those same congregations where Paul had just been to tell them, yes, you do need to keep the law of Moses. Even though we had sent out a decree in Acts 15 saying you don't need to keep the law of Moses, yet we still prefer that you would keep the law of Moses. So we're going to send out apostles and somebody to tell you to keep the law of Moses after Paul's left you. Right? It's terrible. So that's why Paul's so upset, right? Okay, so uh, if I be not an apostle unto others, Yet doubtless I am to you, right? I, I know I'm not an apostle to James and the Quorum of the Twelve, but to you, community uh, in Corinth, I am an apostle, right? For the seal of mine apostleship, the proof that I'm an apostle, is you. The fact that I, I built you up, that I built up this community, that you all worship the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that you're living a Christian life. That's the proof that I'm an apostle. That's the proof I've been called by Jesus Christ. So it doesn't matter what James, Peter, and John say. It doesn't matter what the rest of the 12 say. It doesn't matter what the 70 say. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm a direct errand for Jesus uh, here. He has called me to do so. I have seen the resurrected Lord just as they have. Uh, and therefore, you know, you're, you're the proof that I'm, I'm, I'm your apostle, right? Okay, so uh, let's continue through five here. Mine answer to them that do examine me is this. Have we not power to eat and to drink? Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles, and as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas, right? So uh, here again, right? He's being bold here, isn't he? He's saying, look, I've seen Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has called me to preach the gospel. That's why I'm going out preaching the gospel. Earlier, we had seen, uh, remember, in, in, Roman, in Romans where he says that I call myself an apostle to make them jealous, right? So that they'll work harder and they'll uh, finally do uh, stop keeping this law of Moses, you know. Uh, but uh, here he's saying that he has, he has the right. The fact that he has seen Jesus Christ, he's now claiming equal authority to them. He's just keeps getting upset that they're not calling him to be a general authority in the church. Said, I have equal authority to them, right? I have every right to lead them, to lead any sister, any brother, uh, and, and even to lead the apostles and even the brethren of the Lord, right? James, the president of the church, he's going to be followed by Simon, uh, the, the another brother of Jesus Christ is the second president of the church. And the third president of the church is going to be Jude, the same one that writes the epistle of Jude. 
So they're well known in the church. You know, they're all in line there to be, you know, they're the president of the church and they're in line to be president of the church. And as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas, Cephas again here being the Aramaic name of uh, Peter. So I have every right to lead Peter as well. That's bold, bold stuff, right? Or I only and Barnabas have not we power to forbear working. Okay, so now he goes on here in 6 and 7. Who goeth a war, warfare any time at his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth a flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also? So now he's trying to, now he's setting up the argument that, hey, I built you up. I have every right to live off of your tithing and live off of your fast offerings and live off your offerings. That's what the Quorum of the Twelve and the First Presidency over in Jerusalem are doing, right? They're living off of the off of the offerings of the people of the the, the, of the Christian community. I what do we know about Paul? He's a tent maker. He's going around making tents to make them to survive day by day with his food and to go out on his missionary uh, uh, journeys. He's not living off of the offerings of the people. He's saying, I built you up though. I have the right to do so, but I don't do it. Uh, let's go on 11 through 23. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? We built you up spiritually. Therefore, we, we deserve your carnal things. We deserve your money. If others be partakers of this power over you, right? James, uh, Peter, uh, Peter, and John, and the Quorum of the Twelve, and the Quorum of the Seventy, He's saying, look, he's saying, he's saying they have the, they 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 are partakers of this power over you, right? They are collecting your offerings and your tithes. They are living off of your offerings and your tithes. They're not making tents. They're not working with their own hands. They're living off of you. Nevertheless, we have not used this power. Nevertheless, we're the ones that really build up this community, Barnabas and I, for example, here. Uh, but we're not exercising this power over you. We're not taking the money from your tithing. But we suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? Remember, uh, James now is also, not only is he the president of the church, but he's so well known for keeping the law of Moses that the, those who are not, not, not will, willing to fully join the Christian community they still were. They still view James as a great Jewish leader for them. He becomes the opposition high priest. He gets, he's able to go into the holy of holies where only the high priest is allowed to go. Uh, according to the early church fathers, he, he's in there praying all the time for the people to the point his his uh, knees became like camel's knees is what how the early church fathers uh, describe uh, uh, that. So James is in there, you know, in the temple taking the money, taking from the money. Of the offerings to the temple. Okay. Uh, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. So he, here he's at the same time he's admitting they do have the right to do so. We're choosing not to do that. We don't want to take your money. We want to, you know, we want to offer Christ freely out of our own free will and choice. We don't. We don't, we're willing to make our tents and so forth, right? But he is acknowledging that the quorum of the 12 do have the right 
to to live off of the tithing of the people. And with the current administrative uh, apostles in the church today, right? That's what we know that they do, right? They live. They take a what they what they think is a modest salary, uh, modest uh, uh, pay payout uh, from the tithes and offerings. But here would be a verse that they could go to and defend themselves with here. That even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel, so those who engage full time in the ministry, should live off of the gospel. That that's right here. He, Paul has no problem with that. Paul's saying they they can go ahead and do that. They have the right. That, that's 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 the will of the Lord. But I and Barnabas and, and my other co-workers here, as we see their names at the end of Corinthians, we're choosing not to do that. We're choosing to uh, make tents and live off our own money. We don't want to live off of the tithing of the people. But I have used none of these things. I've used none of your offerings. Neither have I written these things that it should be so done unto me. Neither am I even talking about this because suddenly I want... You to start giving me the tithing, and or that, or that I'm going to start living off of your tithing. For it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glorying void. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. I feel this burning of the, the burning of the spirit within my soul to preach the gospel. Yea, woe is me! Even woe is me if I do not preach. The gospel of Jesus Christ. What a great verse of scripture. One of my personal favorites as well. Okay. But for if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. If I willingly go do it, I get, get a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. So again, he's here he's backing up his claim to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. He say, look, if I went out and voluntarily preached the gospel, you know, I would, I would get rewards. So I didn't do that, did I? I was out there persecuting the Christians until Jesus Christ appeared to me and then told me that instead of persecuting the, the Christians, he wanted me to preach in his name, right? So therefore, he gave me a dispensation of the gospel because of that, because it, it was against my will. It was against my will to preach for Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, he called me and therefore he gave me a dispensation of the gospel. His dispensation of the gospel being what? That you do not need to live the law of Moses. You got to live the Ten Commandments to live a righteous life. He just said previously, no unclean thing can enter the kingdom of heaven. So therefore, uh, those things are, are, are absolutely necessary. Uh, but they don't have to live the law of Moses. They don't have to worry about the 613 commandments. They don't need to worry about whether they wash their hands in the appropriate fashion. They don't need to have debates about whether it's allowed to defecate on the Sabbath day. Uh, they don't need to worry about whether it's, it's okay to defecate in the holy city of Jerusalem. They don't need to worry about if they need to go outside the if they need to go outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem and turn their back against the city to, in order to defecate. And, you know, they sort of these are true discussions that the Jewish leaders were having in terms of trying to interpret and understand and live the law of Moses. And thanks to Paul. We don't have to do that anymore in the church. Have it had not been for Paul, the 12 were still living the law of Moses. We'd still, all the Christian communities today would be having those kinds of discussions and be worrying about all those sort of things. But because of Paul and this dispensation of the gospel given to him directly by Jesus Christ, we no longer need to keep the law of Moses. 
18, what is my reward then? Verily that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. I don't want to become rich off of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. Okay, now coming up here, uh, the next two verses, uh, you know, a lot of the uh, the reason why the, a lot of the new te- the world renowned New Testament scholars hate Paul so much is because of these kinds of things that Paul says. Here we go. They often joke about how he was the first modern day politician. Listen to listen to Paul here. And unto the Jews, I became a Jew that I might gain the Jews to them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? All along, he's been arguing that, that the Gentiles, that, that it's no longer necessary to keep the law of Moses. Keeps arguing that, right? But now he's saying that when he goes and he preaches to a Jewish community or he's with fellow Jews, then suddenly he acts as though, oh, yeah, yeah, it's important to keep the law of Moses. We better keep the law of Moses. So that now his thinking is, is by doing that, maybe he could win them to Christ. But it's not his gospel or his dispensation of the gospel or what he had said in earlier in Romans about this, you know, about my gospel, right? That's not his gospel, right? But he will pretend that he's keeping the law of Moses. We see that at the end of Acts, remember? In Galatians, when we get to Galatians, Peter's going to be sitting with the Gentiles eating. And you're not allowed to sit at the same table with Gentiles and eat if you're a Jew. But he does that until some apostles or some 70 come from James. Uh, James sends to the community. And then suddenly Peter withdraws and acts like, oh, no, I wasn't eating it with the Gentiles with table fellowship. I wasn't doing that. And Paul stands up in Galatians 2 and basically calls him, you hypocrite, Peter. You know, what you're doing is wrong. You know, you were pretending that you, know, that you were, you know, with the Gentiles. That, 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 and then those from James show up. And you go running with your tail behind your, you know, between your legs, right? Uh, well, so he, on the one hand, he, he does that, right? But then on the other hand, at the end of Acts, what did he do, right? He listened to James and he went to the temple to uh, partake in a purification uh, ritual according to Law of Moses. So there when he's in Jerusalem... He is doing what he's saying here. He's pretending to keep the law of Moses. So, you know, it's kind of a hypocrite here, right? So this turns off a lot of New Testament scholars as to this Paul because of this kind of stuff here. Okay, but nevertheless, he said that, right? None to the Jews, but it became like a Jew. I acted like a Jew. I kept their laws that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law is under the law. I was strict for the law. Oh, you got to really keep the law of Moses, even though Jesus Christ came, right? that I might gain them under law. Now to them that are not are, are without the law, when I go to the Gentiles who did not grow up trying to keep this law of Moses, then I act as though it's not important to keep the law of Moses. Be not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without the law. It's a real hypocrite. He's a real hypocrite, doesn't he? Yes. Terrible, right? Goes to the Jews, acts like, oh, you got to keep the law of Moses. Oh, yes, this and that. But Jesus is the is our Messiah. I go to the Gentiles. Oh, no, you don't need to keep the law of Moses. Oh, it's really wrong to keep the law of Moses. Don't worry about yourself. Don't worry about being circumcised. Don't worry about all these sort of things. 
Okay, to the weak, to when I'm around James, <laughs> when I'm around President James, his counselors Peter and John in the Quorum of the Twelve, you know, he's called them the weak several times, right? And as we've been coming along here in the New Testament, so when I when I'm with the weak, I become weak. I, I don't I don't eat the meat. He just told you that already. Remember, he said when you're around them, don't eat the meat. <laughs> <laughs> Don't eat the meat. So that, that's what he's doing. He's not eating the meat, right? When he's with the weak people, the weak in faith of Jesus Christ, who can't recognize that it's no longer, uh, you know, it's no longer necessary to keep the law of Moses. Well, I don't eat meat. I don't eat meat around James in <laughs> the corner of the 12. <laughs> that's classic, isn't it? So that I might gain the weak. You know, I want them to be supportive. I'm trying to bring them to Jesus Christ too. Earlier, he had also said in the beginning of chapter Nine here in verse five, remember that he wants to go lead the apostles. He wants to go lead the apostles to Jesus Christ and the brethren of the Lord to Jesus Christ and Cephas, Peter. He wants to lead Peter to Jesus Christ. So uh, I, when I'm with them, I, I act like them to try to bring them to Jesus Christ. That I might save some of them. And this I do for the gospel's sake that I might be partaker thereof with you. Okay, and then we finish verse uh, this chapter with verse 27. Going right back to, hey, evangelicals. <laughs> Wake up, call again, evangelicals. But I keep under my body. I try my best to keep my body under control so I don't sin. Lest I by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be cast away. I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, just like the evangelicals like to say, right? I have accepted Jesus as my Lord and God. I've accepted him as my Lord and Savior. However, if I don't control my body and I sin, it doesn't matter whether I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, does it? I will still be cast away out into outer darkness where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Oh, your man failed you again this week again. Isn't it interesting? Every week as we've been going, starting with Romans, the first uh, the, uh, chapter, the first lesson of Romans, he's continued to fail you over your, your man, your champion. You love to quote Paul more than you love to quote Jesus, but he continues to fail and embarrass you, doesn't he? Continues to embarrass you. That is not just, that's not sufficient to just pretend that, that except that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, and then somehow think you're going to be saved based on that. He's preached over and over again. You have to keep the Ten Commandments. You don't have to keep the Law of Moses. You have to keep the Ten Commandments. You have to live a righteous life. You have to control your body, or you will be cast away, even if you accepted the Lord as your Lord and Savior, which Paul clearly has. Okay, so he failed you guys again, you evangelicals. Okay, chapter 10. <clears throat> Let's see. So he starts to talk about the people in the Moses day and the leading them out into the wilderness and the splitting of the Red Sea and walking uh, through. But then we pick up with chapter with verse 5 through 8. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Oh, here he goes again, evangelicals. Right away he's going to attack you again, isn't he? 
He's saying we need to keep the commandments, doesn't he? We need to keep the Ten Commandments. We shouldn't be lusting after things. We shouldn't be lusting after evil things. Right away, he's coming right back to it. Doesn't matter whether you accepted the Lord as your Lord and Savior. It's not sufficient to receive salvation. Neither be, oh, here we go again. Neither be idolaters. So not only, another commandment, isn't it? He's saying you got to keep the commandments again. Even though you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you got to keep this commandment, these commandments. Don't be an idolater. As were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Oh, verse 8, evangelicals. He's going to say another commandment, doesn't he? Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed. Wow, this is really interesting. Boy, your pastor's the liar, isn't he? Your pastors are lying to you. You need to wake up and forsake those evil churches and run into the true church of Jesus Christ that teaches the truth. That teaches what Paul said. Paul, your own man, your own champion, just again is teaching that you have to keep the commandments. You have to keep the commandments. You have to keep the commandments. Pay attention what Paul's saying here. When your false preacher comes and tells you, you just have to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, tell him, get thee hence, Satan, you know, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. He's going to hear that directly from the Lord Jesus Christ in his day of judgment, according to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, so don't commit fornication. Don't be idolaters. Don't lust after evil things. And then we'll go on to 12 through 14. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. Never be so comfortable in your Christian walk thinking that you can never fail and that you'll never break the commandments because you can do that. And again, <laughs> evangelical poor souls, it's got to be embarrassing, doesn't it? Doesn't got to be embarrassing when you actually read what Paul, your own champion, continues to say? He just totally embarrassed you again, didn't he? He just totally embarrassed you. Because you try to proclaim and you try to lead astray millions of God's children by telling them that once you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your salvation is assured. You can't lose that salvation at that point. But Paul just said you can. We better read that again. He just made you out to be liars again, didn't he? Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. <laughs> Once you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can fall. Your preacher lied to you again, didn't he? How many lies is this now? We've been going just through, if you just look at the, our lessons on Romans, we had two lessons on Romans. This is now the second in Corinthians. We've now been at this for, you know, what probably who knows, four or five, six hours. How many dozens and dozens of times has your preacher lied to you? It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible that they leading us that they're leading astray your souls to the, the pass of hell. But yet, by quoting Paul, <laughs> but when you read Paul, there's nothing at all what they're preaching, is it? They're lying to you. Get out of those false churches. They're preaching abominable things. Even Jesus Christ said that when he appeared to the prophet Joseph Smith. Those are his own words. Abominations. Abominations. 
Okay, we continue on then in the verse 13. There hath no temptation taketh you, but such is common to man, right? Don't think that because you're going through a terrible temptation that this has never happened to anybody else, right? Uh, God will not allow you to be tempted to, other than what he allows all mankind to be tempted. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you're able. He's also not going to set you up to fail or to fall, right? He's only going to give you temptations that he thinks you can choose and use your free will and free agency uh, to uh, re resist that temptation and keep his commandments. He will, with that temptation, also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my beloved brother, uh, my, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Again, keep the commandments. <laughs> Evangelicals, got to be embarrassing, doesn't it? Okay, let's continue on. 25 through 33. Whosoever is sold in the shambles, that eat, asking no question for conscience sake. So look, you just go into the grocery store and just buy that meat. Don't ask where it came from, what idol it was sacrificed to. If, if it's easier for you, just don't ask anything about it. Just buy it and eat it. Because after all, what we learned from the first book of the Bible in Genesis is that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He gave animals to humankind to eat. <laughs> so don't be worried about it. You know, and don't worry about what idol is sacrificed to. For after all, God gave it to you to eat. Therefore, eat meat. It's just again, attacking James in the Quran 12 over and over again, quoting scripture now against them again. Okay, oh, Paul. Uh, let's see. 26, uh, 27. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast and you be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you, eat. Asking no question for conscience sake, right? If you get asked by a Gentile to go to their dinner, just go to and just eat, be, participate. But don't ask anything, don't ask about it, right? But if any men say unto you, this is offered and sacrificed unto idols, then you better not eat it for his sake because you don't want to, you know, you don't want to offend him. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Once again, the earth, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. You can eat it, but now that they told you it was sacrificed to an idol, you better not. You don't want to hurt their their conscience when they when they see you uh, not to keep the word of wisdom, for example. <laughs> Paul, what a character this Paul is. Huh? Okay, he says, uh, conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other, right? Because... Again, I've quoted a scripture to you twice that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He's given you all these things to eat and partake of, right? So, therefore, it's not for your own conscience, but for their conscience. You don't want to offend them. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if I by grace be a partaker, why, 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 why am I evil spoken of for that for which I give thanks? So, not only is it is the earth the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But before I eat the meat sacrificed to the idols, I pray and thank God for that blessing. I thank him for that blessing. But then I've got James, I got President James 
Peter and John and the Quorum of Twelve going around saying bad things about me because I'm eating this meat. So, you know, so that's what he's saying here. For if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? I give thanks to God for it. Why are you speaking evil about me? Why are you going around spreading gossip and rumors that, you know, that I'm this crazy apostate uh, the, the, the person just because I'm eating this meat sacrificed to idols? Wherefore, therefore, uh, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of the Lord. He would, you know, obviously based on this, if he were alive today, he would say, go ahead and drink that beer. Go ahead and drink that wine. Just give thanks to God and, and you'll be fine. But but if uh, if a member of the church is around and they're going to be offended that you drink that wine or, or drink that beer, don't do it for their sakes. Even though, we, we, you know, even though we know that you were going to thank God for, <laughs> for that character. I had an interesting character, this Paul. But again, we go right back. Every time Paul looks bad, we, we just want to just continue to remind you, Doctrine and Covenant section section 18, verse 9, uh, you know, over 1830 years uh, after Paul, Jesus Christ declared that Paul was his apostle. So while he's said a lot of crazy stuff here today, hasn't he? he, you, know, he you know, he's a hypocrite by his own omission. He has a serious problem with keeping the word of wisdom, uh, you know, in, in their day. He, he doesn't uh, listen to the first presidency, the quorum of the 12. He doesn't do what they're, what they're telling him to do. Yet, nevertheless, it, it, whatever's in his heart is good, right? And Jesus is able to use Paul to spread the gospel to millions of people around the world. Uh, a lot of people personally in his own day, but then these writings of his, his epistles that have gone forward throughout the world for the last 2000 years and have touched the lives of millions. So let's just always keep that in mind. He's certainly an interesting character, <laughs> certainly an interesting character does Paul, right? But Jesus did use him as his apostle to break down this, uh, keeping the law of Moses idea and to spread the gospel to the Gentile world. Okay, so then he says here, um, uh, give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. So again, showing his heart, after the, our discussion here, showing his heart, he truly wants all these people to be saved. He just may have an interesting approach to doing so, right? But ultimately, he wants them all to be safe. So he does have this good heart. Jesus said, we'll use it to go out and touch the lives of many, even though he has some serious character flaws, right? Okay, moving on to chapter 11, and we'll look at the 1 through 11. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. So, no. <laughs> I just looked at exactly. If you take that fully literal, uh, what <laughs> then that means you do the same thing. You're a hypocrite, right? When you're with the Jews, you say you're keeping the law of Moses, and you do so. But when you're with the Gentiles, you don't keep the law of Moses. When you're with people who drink beer and alcohol, you do so. But when you're with those who don't, you don't do so. So <laughs> it's interesting, right? But 
ideally that should be a, a quote and and you know that should be one of the one of our life's models to uh, you know as we serve our fellow people in uh, in the church and outside the church we should be able to say be followers of me even as i am in jesus christ as you're doing your best to follow jesus christ so they should go ahead and and follow you as well Two, now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. Okay. So, uh, you know, a woman's, um, uh, you know, dishonoring herself if she's praying or prophesying uh, with a head uncovered. That's why when you go to the temple, you cover your, your, your head, right? But he's going to go, he's going to come in here and explain exactly the reason uh, why. For the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. Shave shave it off, right? If you're not going to cover your head, shave off all your hair. That's what Paul's saying here. But if it be a shame for a woman to shave off her hair, if you're living in a community, uh, country, a city of the world, where it would be looked down on if you've shaved your head if you're a woman, he says, let your head just be uh, covered when you prophesy or pray. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Going right back to Adam, that the woman was created from Adam. Therefore, as he said earlier, that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. Okay, so he's tying all the scriptures together here. And he says, um, uh, let's see, in eight, for the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman was created for the man in order to, re to fulfill God's first commandment to Adam, which was to multiply and replenish the earth, right? How do you multiply and replenish the earth without a woman, right? Okay. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. All right. Now, he doesn't elaborate further here because he assumes you already know, right? This now goes right back to Genesis 6, where the, uh, where, which is then elaborated on in other um, uh, non-canonical scripture, uh, such as, you know, Jubilees and the, uh, and the book of Enoch. Uh, is you know, and then we, we have the small part there in Genesis chapter six, where the angels of God. We know there's two hundred of them. Uh, they lusted after the female uh, woman and the, the, the daughters of mankind, and they came down, landed on Mount Hermon, and they took the woman and, and you know, and had children with them. These became the giants, and it just created a disaster on the earth, which is why God had to send the flood to destroy the world and wipe out all that. Uh, wickedness. So what he's saying, what he's trying to say here in 10, he's been leading up to a woman needs to cover her head when she's involved in in, in uh, religious uh, 
worship, whether prophesying or whether praying, because the angels may be watching you when you do when you engage in religious activity. So what you don't want to do is you don't want the angels come down, rape you or or try to have sexual intercourse with you because they lust after you. So therefore, if you're a woman, you need to cover your head or if you can't cover your head, then you need to shave off your hair. So you don't you don't look as attractive to the angels so that we don't repeat Genesis chapter six. That's what he's saying here about uh, uh, for this cause, ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels, because of the angels, you need to do this, right? Okay, so hopefully that makes sense now to everybody, these first uh, 10 verses of uh, chapter 11. Uh, let's see. Ne nevertheless, nevertheless, or the, ra the reality is, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. So man is never complete. A man in the Lord who's doing his best to keep God's commandments is never complete unless he has the woman who's also doing her best to keep the commandments. And same with the woman a righteous woman keeping the commandments is not complete unless she's married to a man who's also keeping the commandments. Okay. Let's see. So now we go 14 through 15. Doth, oh, here we go. Right. Here we go. <laughs> James. Yeah, I love it. I, I hope I'm opening up the scriptures to you. So now in the future, when you read the New Testament, you're going to catch on to all these things we've been looking at all these past several weeks. And that's going to make a lot more sense to you. And you're going to just be surprised at these things. Or if you had no idea what was really going on, I guess you could just read these words and that just doesn't really mean anything to you. But here we go. He's going to attack James. He's going to, he's going to attack James. Remember, James, lifelong vegetarian lifelong Nazarite. He had made the Nazarite vow with the Lord that he would never cut his hair. So Paul has what? Long, uh, no, not, not Paul, not Paul. James, president of the church, the brother of Jesus Christ, he is a Nazarite. His hair is long, right? So here we go. Keep this in mind. Chapter 11, verse 14. <laughs> Doth not, James, 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 doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him. <laughs> it's like, you know, you see a general conference or something and maybe President Nelson's wearing a red tie or something. And then you come out and say publicly, doth not nature itself even teach you that if a man were to wear a red tie, you know, it's a, what did they say? It's a shame unto him. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's a direct, uh, that's really attack here on uh, on James, isn't it? But then he goes to a, so, so, so a woman here, and he uh, gives a great lesson here. But for a woman to have long hair, it is a glory to her. It makes her beautiful. It makes her it look like a beautiful creation and, and daughter of God. For her hair, her long hair is given unto her, for a covering, right? So to make her beautiful, right? And long hair is given to a woman to make her beautiful. So therefore, it's a good thing for a woman to have long hair. James, <laughs> nature itself teaches you and any other man that has long hair that it's a shame. It's a shame to them to have that long hair. Okay. Let's look at 17 through 30. 
Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not. Okay, now he's about to attack them again here. I, I don't praise you for what I'm about to declare, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. And he's going to talk about how they're doing the sacrament. For first of all, when you come together in the church, so when you when you come together to meet to, uh, for your Christian observance, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must also be heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. So here he's teaching again about the future forthcoming apostasy of the church, of the true church of Jesus Christ. There will be heresies among the people. There will be people preaching false things so you can know who's the approved one of God. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry and one is drunken. So before you take the sacrament, you're bringing your own food to church, and after church, you're eating it. Well, the rich people are getting drunk off of their feast that they're having, where the poor people are still hungry after eating, you know, the, whatever basic uh, uh, kind of food that they were eating. What have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? Are you doing this? Are you bringing in your sumptuous feast to shame those who don't have money, who can't afford food? You have your own houses. Why don't you just go eat there before you come to church? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. So again, now you say, now keep in mind, this is written before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Mark is in 70, Matthew 85, Luke 90, John 100. You know, this here is in the 50s, right? So this is quite some time before the gospel tradition. So he doesn't have the gospel traditions of, of Jesus uh, blessing the sacrament at, at the Last Supper. He's saying he got the tradition directly from Jesus Christ. He's going to always say that kind of thing. He, he didn't get the tradition being passed on from Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. He got it directly from Jesus Christ. That the same night, uh, in verse 23 here, in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, uh, and so here we go, here's the warning, right? Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Let him examine himself. Before he partakes of the sacrament, let that man, that woman, examine themselves whether they're worthy to partake of the sacrament. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. You make a mockery out of the blood and body of Jesus Christ when you partake of the, the sacrament unworthily is what Paul's teaching here. And watch this in verse 30. He's saying, and because you're partaking of the Lord's supper of the sacrament unworthily, there are many that are weak and sick among you and many have even died because you partook of the 
Sacrament unworthily. Wow, he's pretty tough on this, isn't he? Okay, so let's look. So 31 here. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Or for my brother, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home. That you come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. <laughs> Remember he said earlier, I'm going to, uh, do you want me to come in love or do you want me to come bring a whip and start whipping you? Right? It's gonna, I'm going to set you guys in order when I come. <laughs> what a character does Paula. <clears throat> okay. Even on chapter 12, and we'll look at 1 through 13. And now concerning spiritual gifts. So he's going to talk about spiritual gifts. I would not have you ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away into these dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speak. Here we go. This is a powerful verse of scripture here. Watch this. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the spirit of God call Jesus accursed. Now watch this. And that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. What a powerful verse of scripture. No man, let's read that again. No man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Okay, that's powerful stuff here. So we'll probably look at this uh, verse. Um, we, we probably will refer to this verse several times next year as we teach the Book of Mormon, another testament of Jesus Christ, right? Uh, and what he says here, right? So, you know, a lot of people want to try to make this whole thing about whether it's a historical book or whether it's not an historical book. Who cares? It, it means nothing. It doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean anything. First of all, we know that less than 1%, one less than 1% of the archaeological sites in in the Americas and the Americas have been excavated. So 99% of the of the known archaeological sites. We don't even we, obviously we haven't even found all the archaeological sites, but only 1% of them have been even have only been excavated, right? So there's a ton of future knowledge to be discovered uh, there. So if that's not enough for you, if you still have problems with this kind of stuff, let's look again here at what the Bible says. Remember, because the Book of Mormon is going to say, look, if you truly believe in the Bible, you'll believe in the Book of Mormon. Why? Because of verses such as this. Let's look again at what the Bible says about the Book of Mormon. No man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. That's the only way that somebody can say that Jesus is the Lord is only by the Holy Ghost. So as you start reading the Book of Mormon, and it keeps coming across dozens and hundreds of times over and over again that Jesus is the Lord. Whoever's writing it, whether it's an ancient historical person or not, it doesn't matter. Whoever's writing that, writing that Jesus is the Lord, can only do so by the Holy Ghost. So therefore... When you read the Book of Mormon, you get dozens and dozens and dozens and probably hundreds and hundreds of times that Jesus is the Lord. The Holy Ghost is the one saying that through the person writing it. Therefore, that book is scripture. That is the word and the power of God unto salvation. doesn't matter whether it's the ancient Nephite, whether it's ancient Lamanite or anything like that. The point is what it just said here. 
No man can say that Jesus is the Lord except by the Holy Ghost. So as we look at the Book of Mormon next year, we'll probably look at this scripture many times as, as we do it, right? Until it gets through your uh, thick heads. So those of you who want to fight against God and fight against the gospel of Jesus Christ, no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost because the Book of Mormon says that Jesus is the Lord dozens and dozens and dozens of times. You know that the Book of Mormon is the word of God. It is what it claims to be, another testament of Jesus Christ. That's according to the Bible. Your Bible, your Bible just said, no man can say that Jesus is the Lord except by the Holy Ghost. Your Bible just proved that the Book of Mormon is the word of God along with the Bible. That's what your Bible just said. Again, Paul, your man, your champion, just again proved that the Book of Mormon is the word of God because no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Isn't it wonderful? Evangelicals, isn't it embarrassing again? You're, you're liars, you're liars, you're the pastors, you're priests, all liars, liars, lie all the time, liars. And yet the Bible says all over the place that liars are going to be thrust to hell and be weeping and wailing and gnashing their teeth and all these things. So that's where your pastor's going. Based on your own Bible, your own Bible says that about them. Okay, let's continue on. Powerful stuff here, Paul. And he says here, and um, let's see, we're going through 13. Verse 4, now there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. And so there's many different kinds of spiritual gifts, but all comes from the same spirit, from the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but from the same Lord. And there are diversity operations, but it's the same God which worketh all in all. But a manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit worth all. So the, these gifts of the Spirit is to help profit and bring people unto Jesus Christ. Verse 8, for to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one in the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. 13. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one Christian church. There's only one. Maybe he's going to come on later and say that. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Not many faiths. Not many, you know. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Not many baptisms. Not many. Only one church. Only one church can be the true one. And that's why we've for, spent millions upon millions of dollars and have sent out hundreds of thousands of missionaries to the world to tell them about the truth of God, to tell them that the church of Jesus Christ has been restored to the earth, and to actually ask them to pray to God to ask whether it's true. Only the true church could do that. And then yet have God tell millions upon millions of people that the church is true? Pretty powerful, isn't it? 
Okay. Let's continue then with uh, 25 through 28. That there should be no schism in the body. You shouldn't have Catholics and, and evangelicals and Baptists and, uh, and uh, Methodists and Presbyterians and, and uh, Pentecostals and all these things. You should not have that. There should only be one. There should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. 26. And whether one member suffer, all the members should suffer with him or her. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Then here we go. Watch this, 28. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps governments, diversities of tongues. Uh, recently, in the last couple of years, uh, Elder Jeffrey R. Holland spoke about this when he was talking to teachers in the church and talked about what a great calling that they have. It's the third highest calling in the church. It's above that of a bishop. It's above that of a stake president. It's above that uh, everything else except for apostles, prophets, and then teachers. It's the third highest calling in the church to be a teacher. Okay, in 29, are all apostles or all prophets? Are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? No, we all get, get given different gifts to help build up the body of Christ. Have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but covered earnestly the best gifts. So go out and seek the best gifts and ask God to bless you to help you receive them and to develop them so you can use them to build up the body of Jesus Christ. And yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Okay, and so now we come to the final chapter today. This is chapter 13. This is the great one in charity. We've all heard these uh, some of these verses of Scripture. So here we go. Paul speaking powerfully here. Though I speak with the tongues of man and of angels and have not charity or, or love, the love of Christ, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all the mysteries of the kingdom of God and have all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can even remove mountains and I don't have the charity or the love of God, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and though I give my body to even be burned at the stake for my testimony of Jesus Christ and have not charity or the love of God, it does not profit me anything. The charity or the love of God suffereth long and is kind. Charity or the love of God envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. No, there's no JST correcting that is there. What does that mean? A lot of people don't understand that. They get they stumble on that uh, on that part there, right? Some like to point out the different prophets and say that oh, their prophecies failed. Well, Paul just told you your own Bible. Hey. Hey, evangelicals, 
your own Bible again just said that your preachers are false prophets of God. Right there, right? Right there. You can't attack any kind of prophet and say that their prophecy failed. Why? Because the Bible just told you that. Your own Bible just said where there's prophecies, they shall fail. Now, why is that? Prophecy is different than foretelling the future. Prophecies do not foretell the future. Prophecies are conditional. Prophecies are conditional upon people's free will or free agency and upon how they determine to act in the circumstances in which they're placed. So if someone prophesies that somebody may grow up to go on a mission, for example, if they end up not going on a mission and chose not to go on a mission, doesn't mean that... that, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, that prophecy failed because that person chose not to go on a mission. They used their own free will and agency to not go on a mission. But it was still the true prophecy of God. It was even uttered by the Spirit of God. Prophesying is not foretelling the future. If you could foretell the future, if you could travel 20 years in the future, you could see whether that person went on a mission or not. That's forete- That would be foretelling the future, right? prophesying is conditional upon the person, whether they keep the commandments or not, whether they do what the Lord wants, uh, you know, for his will for their lives. So where there's prophecies, they shall fail. So the fact that you can find a prophet of God and say, oh, look, their prophecies failed, doesn't I mean it all does proves the Bible correct. Because the Bible said where there's prophecies, they shall fail because of people's free agency and free will. They don't, they're not foretelling the future they're speaking by the Spirit of God as to a person's potential future if they keep the commandments of God and do what God wills for their life. Okay, whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, this is very important because sometimes we have good-hearted uh, leaders of the church, either at a local or even a more general uh, uh, level, who get kind of concerned out of their good heart, and they try to preach. Uh, we should get back to just basic stuff like faith, repentance, baptism, the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's great. That's great. But... As Paul says here, right? Do you accept Paul as an apostle of Jesus Christ or not? Do you accept Paul as, a Jesus, as an apostle of Jesus Christ? What did he say? When I was a child, I spoke as a child. When I was a child in the... He's not talking about actual children here. He's talking about a child in Christ. As when I was a newly con, when I was a new convert to the church, right? I talked about the basic things. I talked about faith, repentance, uh, the baptism, gift of the Holy Ghost, enduring to the end. But... As I matured in my Christian walk, I put away the childish things, right? So that's what he's saying here. And that's the only way to keep somebody uh, ultimately from keeping their testimony burning uh, strong and brightly. If you only focus on the basic principles of the church, then somebody comes along. Then you're ta- as, the, as James, James warned you about being tossed around by every wind of doctrine, right? If you don't know the doctrine of Jesus Christ, at a very advanced level, you just know the basics. Then someone comes along 
and can, they can sound intelligent to you and deceive you into believing false winds of doctrine because you don't have the knowledge as an adult in Christ. You just have the childish knowledge, the child stuff of the faith, repentance, baptism, and get all those. That's why we see people leave the church. They don't have enough intelligence in terms of gospel understanding to be able to withstand these doctrine, these winds of doctrine that, that come up about. If they were truly grounded in the knowledge of the scriptures, of all things in the scriptures, not just faith, repentance, baptism, but of, of the whole thing, then when the winds of doctrine float around, they're not going to be deceived. They're not going to lose their testimony. Their testimony is going to be strongly grounded in the truth of Jesus Christ. So I know there's good-hearted church leaders who've preached things like that to just stay on the basics, but that's not going to help you when the time comes in which you're being having somebody trying to deceive you and lead you astray if you're not if you don't have the more adult knowledge of the gospel rather than just the child knowledge of the gospel. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man in Christ, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three, these three, but the greatest of these three is charity or love of God, love of Christ. What another powerful lesson of the Apostle Paul. What a character, isn't he? But he also taught very important things. He said interesting things at times, but he also taught the pure doctrine of Jesus Christ, as we just saw there in the concluding parts of, of the lesson here today. We invite those of you who are not yet members of his one Lord, one faith, one baptism, those of you not yet members of his true church of God upon the earth. We invite you to come unto it. Come unto the Lord. Accept him as your Lord and Savior. Exercise faith in Jesus. Repent of your sins. Be baptized by those who actually hold the priest and authority of God to perform such baptisms so that that baptism will be recognized by God, the eternal Father in the heavens. You will then receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and begin on the way of enduring to the end, doing your best to walk in the Christian faith, and God will bless you with his grace when you fail and fall short of the glory of God. We testify the truth of these things to you again today. For those of you inactive in the church, we welcome you with wide open arms to come back, come back to be a member of the community of saints of God. Reach out to your local leaders. Reach out to the missionaries, reach out to any member you know and ask them to help you come back into full membership. They'll put you in touch with the right people to help you do so. Closing, we ask God to, uh, to pour out his spirit upon you that you may have a safe shelter overhead, that you may have food to eat and, dr and drink to drink, water to drink. We bless you with basic financial resources so that you can carry out God's will for you in your life and that you can become the man and woman of Christ that he wants you to become. We place these blessings upon your head and testify the truthfulness of these things. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.